Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 50. Oh, praise the Lord. Um, you know, most of your hand a- handouts have been front and back, right? Which means you can tell how many weeks we've spent in this book. If you just look at the handout that you got on the way in this morning. Uh, some of the handouts were, were multi-page, so less than 80 weeks, okay? Um, I get a lot of grief about how long it's taken us to get through the book of Genesis. I had projected about a year and a half uh, with all of the pulpit hogs that I have to deal with. <laughs> Here we are. So praise the Lord, it's, it's good. Uh, uh, let's pray, let's ask the Lord for his help and then let's finish up the book of Genesis together. Father, we love you, Lord, we need you. Again, the pictures that are so applicable to our lives. Uh, We need the help of the Spirit to be able to see them and to see how they apply, to see see the reality of what your word speaks over our life. Uh, Lord, we wanna see it manifest in ours, and so Lord, we need you, we confess that. Without you, we can do nothing. With you, all things are possible. And so Lord, um, we're just trusting that you'll do what only you can do. You're God, we're not. You're God, we're your people. We belong to you, and so Lord, we just submit ourselves, we offer our hearts and our lives to you and say, God, have your way with us today. All in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here in Genesis chapter 50, we're looking at Jacob's funeral now. Uh, in, 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 in chapter 49, Jacob, we saw him pass away. And now here's the response of his children, verse one. Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were fulfilled for him. For so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. It took 40 days to complete the procedure. And the Egyptians mourned for him three score and 10 days. There's 70 days of mourning in Egypt for, 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 uh, for Jacob. Verse four, and when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, if now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, my father made me swear, saying, lo, I die. In my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore, let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he, as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and, went with, and, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and his brethren, and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. So it's a big deal, everybody recognizes it. All of Egypt knows that they owe Jacob for Joseph, and so they're expressing it now. Verse nine, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the, fresh, the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. 
And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abram bought, or Abraham bought, with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. So here in verses 1 through 13, we see that the loss of Jacob, everybody feels it. They feel it extensively. And so it's proper. This is what we need to glean from this. It's proper to mourn the loss of loved ones. It's very proper. I mean, they, they, they mourn for 70 days at his death, and when they take him to bury him, it's seven more, and it's a very grievous lamentation that they make over this loss. Grieving at the level of your loss is critical. Job's friends understood that. Back in Job's day, back in these times, many times you would receive the aid of professional mourners. They would make sure that you open up, uh, that you choke up, and that you basically give up the grief uh, that's due at the level of the loss that you've experienced. And so Job's friends come to make sure. I mean, Job just lost everything. He lost his kids. He lost his wealth, his resources. In Job chapter 2, verse 11, when Job's three friends heard of all that the evil, all this evil was come upon him, all of them come, okay? Verse 12 says, when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him, they didn't recognize Job. I mean, they knew it was him, but oh man, what a mess. They lifted up their voice and wept. They rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. They just grieved with him. They just mourned with him. They didn't try to fix him. They didn't try to make it better. They worked to express grief with their friends. So Job's friends got that. Jesus understands that with the death of Lazarus. Lazarus dies in John chapter 11, verse 33. Jesus sees her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. And so here's Jesus' response. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, shortest verse in your Bible. It's the one all the kids want to learn at Vacation Bible School because they get points for it. You don't have to work at it. But look at Jesus' response. Jesus wept. God cried over loss. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. See, you want to do yourself a, 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 a proper service, right? You don't want to do to yourself disservice when you don't acknowledge or express your grief. A proper expression of grief over, right, your loss, proper expression of grief at the level of your loss, that is part of the coping process, but also part of the healing process. So you need to mourn at the level of your loss. Don't cry over spilt milk, okay? That's not worth bawling about. But when your daddy dies, that's a whole nother thing. Um, you know, there are things that I've suffered in terms of loss in my life, and because they're things, I can just shrug my shoulders and say, well, God's mercies are new every morning, and we'll, we'll just see what tomorrow brings. Today was a net loss. Uh, we'll trust the Lord that tomorrow is a net gain. But man, if my wife dies on me, 
you will not console me, okay? I mean, you can try. You can, I think consolation is a good thing. I'm just saying you won't make it go away. You won't make the grief go away. Um, I will be undone. I'll actually, I've told you this before, I'll actually be mad that she left before me. I'll have to go through the stages of grief and in the anger stage, I probably will go pee on her grave. I mean, just, <laughs> just for leaving me, but, but uh, <laughs> that's not right, but there it is. But, And God's grace will be sufficient for even that. Uh, even in the midst of great grief, there can be joy in the Lord. The comfort, the grace, the strength that God gives, it's very real. But to go through a time of great loss in a stoic fashion like, oh, it's not phasing me, I'm okay. No, you're not okay. Uh, you wouldn't be okay if you lost an arm in an accident. That would take time to recover from. That would take time to, to, to heal up, right? There, there would be a process of healing till you come back to a new level of wholeness. Well, the same thing. When you lose at this level, it's proper to grieve. But now notice the other reaction to death. In verses 14 through 18, I want you to see this picture, okay? His brothers now are full of fear. Why? Well, because without faith, death brings fear. That's the picture that we see in these next four verses. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury, to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite of us, right, requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, okay, here comes the lie. Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. Uh, forgive the trespass of the, of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren went also and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. So notice what's happening here. Okay, the morning is done. They're getting back to, to, to life. Whatever new normal looks like, this is what they're facing now. And they, you know, they just start doing the math on this. Um, Jacob's not here to stay Joseph's hand. We're in big trouble. So they, their response is to send a last word from beyond the grave, right? A, a last word from dad before he dies uh, so that Joseph will not, will not uh, treat them badly. And in verse 18, they fall down before Joseph the fifth time. Again, all of this is a fulfillment of the vision, vision that Joseph got in his youth. But here right now, what's happening is, is the, the patriarch is dead. Jo you know, Jacob functions as the, as the nexus for the family. He's the glue that holds everything together. And now he's gone, so it gets real. Stuff starts coming out. And this happened, this is just the way people are wired. Anytime there's a power vacuum, people start jockeying for position, right? They push or they worry. They're worried that things can't move forward effectively or rightly or justly for them. And, and so in the loss of this stabilizing force or in the loss of this, 
this person who is holding everything together, people freak out. In this case, his brothers are terrified that Joseph's supposed mask is gonna come off now. And there's just no telling what he's gonna do in retaliation against them. And so their response is to lie to him and say, let me give you the last word from daddy. I mean, dad's body is not yet cold in the grave and they're lying in his name, why? Because they're convinced Right? They're convinced that Joseph will move to get even with them. No, that's what they would do in his place. If it were them in the place of power, oh, now that dad's gone, it's on like Donkey Kong. Joe better watch out. No, no, no. That's what they would do. So get this down. I mean, just, this is just how life works. This is, this is the nature of sinful flesh. People will project on you what they themselves are guilty of or or are prone to, right? People will accuse you of the very things that they're guilty of. They They will suspect you, they will evilly surmise against you over the issues and the problems that are actually sourced in their own heart. Is this making sense? Uh, I've, I've noticed this in so many scenarios. I've noticed it in my own life. I've actually noticed it in my own heart where I evilly surmise and I suspect, right, I suspect in an evil way uh, someone's motivation or their intention. Uh, Sometimes, man, I get to examining my heart and I realize, wait a minute, that's actually a problem I'm carrying around. (laughs) It needs to be a point of repentance for me. But here's the other issue, and and I think this will make sense to you. This is a key concept we need to get from this story. At the root of a lot of relational dysfunction is fear. People don't relate to one another correctly. They don't do it if they're full of fear. You know, perfect love casts out fear. There's no place for fear in a walk or a life of faith, and yet, man, here it is, right? They're full of fear, and so they don't know how to relate right with Joe. A lot of people live in drama because they anticipate the worst. And a lot of people are negative because that's all they expect out of life. They project on others what they themselves are guilty of and then, you know, uh, what is it? You know, the, 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 the phrase is a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You know the phrase? Uh, people, the way they live, they will end up living in a way that brings to pass their expectations. And so if the, way, if the way I relate to you, okay? So Tim Renault, if the way I relate to you every time is like, bro, I know you're gonna stab me in the back. I know you're gonna, I know you're gonna you know, do something that's horrible to me. And, it, and so the whole time, the way I'm relating to you is treating you like an enemy. Guess what will end up happening eventually? Eventually I will train this man to be my enemy. And then I'm like, oh, see? Told you. <laughs> when I'm the instigator. So people project, right? They get dysfunctional in how they relate to you over their fear. And so Joseph has to deal with it. He has to address it. And you need to as well. You need to know the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Lamentations 3.22 says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Because of his compassions, right? Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. No wonder we wrote a song about it. 
Great is his faithfulness. You know, some people will make their emotional dysfunction your problem until you say, hey, wait, something's wrong. Let's stop this. This isn't making sense to me. And then just say with Joseph in verse 19, Joseph said unto them, fear not. Stop bugging, bro, right? Fear not, for am I in the place of God? And then he gives the, he gives the root issue in verse 20. He says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God's a judo master. He took the wickedness that you were trying to pull on me and he flipped it, reversed it, and here we are. God used it for good. Verse 20 says, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. So don't miss how we now again see Joseph as a perfect type of Christ. Here are people that are coming to him like, we know you don't really love us, you really want to destroy us. It's like so many people's, you know, their relationship with the Lord himself. And you don't see God as loving you and caring for you and desiring to nourish and provide for you. No, God's just waiting to drop the hammer and squash me like a bug. And that's how you relate to the person who gave his life to buy you back from your sin, the wickedness that separated you from God. He gave everything to make you part of his life. And it's like, you're just waiting to drop, I I know, I know, you're just waiting to drop the hammer on me. No, fear not. This is what God consistently says to his people. Once you're in Christ, you have everything. Now again, fellowship with Christ is worth maintaining. Obviously, that's important. If there's sin in your life, confess it. Agree with God over it. He's worth being right with, right? You have this right relationship with God in terms of your salvation. Well, now walk it out. Don't live your life in fear. God consistently says to his people, fear not. Revelation 1.17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I saw Jesus for who he is, and it took me out. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Okay, I wanna hang with that guy. (laughs) The guy that has the keys to hell and death. So Joseph says, okay, look, you guys, you're bugging, you've lost your mind, stop it. I've got you, I'm gonna take care of you, I love you, I'm gonna provide for you. We're done with this, let's move forward as a family. In other words, we're not gonna play the revenge and vengeance game here, okay? That's what they would do, but that's not Joseph. We're not gonna play this game. Let's move forward in faith, so just drop it. I think, um, I'm pretty sure I got this, this, this illustration from Pastor Shelby. Two monks have a vow of chastity and purity, and they come to a river and found a woman who could not cross. So the older monk picked up the lady and began to carry her across the treacherous rapids of the river. Of the river. Once he walked her across and let her down, he said, God bless you, and the two monks kept on going. The younger monk had watched all of this, and they walked for about a mile, and the younger monk would not talk to the older monk. Finally, the older monk said, what's up, bro? And the younger monk monk said, 
I know what you were thinking when you picked up that lovely young lady back there. You know, we gave God a vow of chastity and purity, and yet I know in your heart when you picked up that buxom beauty, you had to be lusting in your heart after her. I'm ashamed of you for what you were thinking. And the older monk <laughs> looked at the younger monk and, and he said, look bro, I put that woman down a mile ago. Why are you still carrying her? <laughs> I mean, come on, just let it go already. Let go of your suspicions, let go of your evil surmising, let go of your fear, and trust that God, if God is for you, who can be against you? In 99.999% of the cases, it's you against you. <laughs> you end up working contrary to Christ. You know, ye thought, is what Joseph said, ye thought evil against me. Right, you were, you were evilly surmising, you were contriving, you had, the, you had the motivation of malicious intent. That's not me. So notice in verses 19 through 21, what do we have here? Joseph is now repaying evil with good. He's repaying evil with good. You know, Joseph is a great example of a godly response to a time of crisis, betrayal and hurt. Here's the picture, okay? Joseph overcomes evil with good. That's what Jesus does, right? Jesus overcomes evil with good. What was true of Joseph, what is true of Christ, the same should be true for us. Check out Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Recompense recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as, lieth with, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Okay, so man's natural response is if you do something contrary to me, I will immediately start planning and scheming to do something contrary back to you. So you hurt me, I'm gonna endeavor, I'm gonna attempt to hurt you. Well, that's not the way the New Testament relationship with Christ works itself out. Um, somebody despises you, evilly treats you, evilly uses you, you don't respond in kind. And notice, you know, some people just won't get along. Verse 18 says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Um, I wanna, you know, I wanna, I wanna get along with everybody. But the person that's beaten my wife, well, they need a beat down. You see how that works? I mean, it's just not possible to allow this person to, to mug my wife. You, you, you get the illustration, right? If my wife is being mugged, I'm kind of on the hook to put an end to that, whatever that looks like, right? How, whatever that takes. Uh, it's weird. Just this last week, we're walking our dog on the trail by our house, and, and uh, Earl is a little dude. He's a... Uh, I don't even know, we haven't even weighed him, but he's just a little guy, you know? And uh, the big dogs like to pick on the little dogs. Uh, he's been attacked three or four different times when we've had him out on walks or running. And, uh, and uh, I'm trying to get back into shape. Winter was rough. <laughs> so I'm, Cheryl's walking the dog and I go for a run. And uh, whenever I'm on my way back, normally I catch her on the trail coming back, Cheryl's waving at me. And what it looks like is Earl has gotten loose and he's playing with this other dog. And I'm like, I don't think he's going anywhere. You know, so I'm still, I'm still heading back toward her and, and then she's still waving at me. 
And she's like <laughs> trying to get my attention and I thought something must be wrong. So I start jogging a little faster and, and um, as I get closer I realize, oh, it's a, it's a pit bull trying to kill the dog. And, uh, and so, you know, she, by the time I get there, the neighbor lady hands my wife a rake, and she's over there beating the pit bull. Let go of my dog! Let go of my dog! And she's just wailing on him. And so I don't do anything. I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe this is a tip for people, but the pit bull's got Earl. And so I just walk up behind the pit bull and grab it by the hind legs. And I just pick up. The pit bull looks around, and when it does, I just start the centrifugal force going. <laughs> Can I tell you what was in my heart? Um, what was in my heart was to get it spinning fast, and on one of those revolutions, get way up in the air, and help it to the ground as hard as I could. I'm just telling, that's what I was planning. That's not what happened. Because <laughs> um, I'm thinking this dog deserves, I mean, deserves what it gets. Okay, while I'm spinning the pit bull, it's looking at me like, <laughs> just completely freaked out. And I start having compassion on this murdering dog. <laughs> and so I put it on the ground. Um, I didn't make sure it was a soft landing, but I didn't make sure it was a hard landing either. And so I just basically j leaped on the dog and just held it and mobilized it, held it down till the, till the owner could come. Um, I kind of had, had a little murder in my heart <laughs> when I started. And, um, and I realized this dog is just an idiot. You know, he just doesn't know. And, um, you know, a lot of times... There's something wrong, I will just say this, there's something wrong with a pit bull, a pit bull, okay? They don't know how to think right, okay? I don't 100% know that's their fault. I would just never own one of those because it's just not if, it's when. Uh, that's just where I'm at, you do you, but um, it, was, it was doing what it naturally does. Does that make sense? And a lot of times, this is the way people work. Right? They're just doing what they naturally do in terms of the flesh. And for us to get so incensed that it's just all out, it's on like Donkey Kong, we have to destroy them, what a waste of time and emotional energy. They're just lost people living like lost people. Now again, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men, right? Uh, some people you just can't get along with. Um, but that's not because you're not trying. It's not because you don't have compassion. It's not because you don't recognize they're just living in the flesh. Verse 19 makes it clear. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. His brothers, look at just still some of the just wicked, evil surmising that's still in their heart. There's nothing to restrain. I mean, Joseph's got all the power. He's running the entire country. We're dead men walking. He's going to get even with us. Joseph has to address it, and he overcomes it with good. 
I will take care of you. I will nourish you and your little ones. Don't worry. I've got you. Joseph is functioning as a type of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we gotta do the same thing. Don't we need to function? Shouldn't our lives be a picture of the life of Christ? It's built into the name Christian, right? Christian, Christian, little Christ. Your life should be just a little representation of the person and the life and the faith of Christ. All right, last half of the chapter verses, or the last bit of the chapter, verses 22 through 26, we see Joseph's death. And so, you know, the, the, the Bible just concludes it quickly here. Verse 22 says, And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. Uh, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. So he sees his great-great-grandchildren by Ephraim, He saw Manasseh's grandchildren. So already, remember the prophecy of Jacob in the last chapter, already Ephraim is more fruitful. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and ye shall carry up my bones from thence. So Joseph died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So at 110, Joseph, uh, his life is shorter than that of his father, his grandfather. The lifespan is continuing to shorten, right? It's shortening. But look at Joseph's last message. God shall surely visit you. Right? You're going to take my bones with you when you're delivered. God will surely visit you. Well, that's the promise of God to his people, right? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22 says, By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. And God surely did visit them. And what he commanded them to do, it was fulfilled in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Okay, so why does this happen? Well, because the promises of God are sure. God promised Abraham that his descendants would be evilly entreated. In another nation, it's, it's four, 430 years in the land, but 400 of those, they're evilly entreated by the Egyptians. They end up in bondage and slavery. And God does visit them. He does deliver them. He does, with a strong hand, remove them from their bondage. Why? Because the promises of God are sure. And they're sure over your life. They're sure over mine. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Joseph died full of faith. I mean, he could have had his own pyramid in Egypt, right? I mean, he's the man. He could have had a giant um, um, a statue of his likeness out in, front of that, out in front of that pyramid. I mean, it could have. No, he chose to be buried with God's people. My life is not... My destiny is not with the pleasures of Egypt, the pleasures of sin for this season. No, I've got an eternal destiny with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Now notice, again, we don't see sin recorded in the life of Joseph. He was a sinner, because we have Romans 3.23 in our Bible. For who hath, for, I mean, who, yeah, for all have sinned, right? Joseph was a sinner, but his life is a wonderful type of Christ. Uh, James 1.12 gives a great summary for the kind of life that, that, that Joseph lived. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall, re- he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Man, Joseph suffered. He had to have been tempted with thoughts of revenge and retribution, right? No, he doesn't. He doesn't do any of that. Uh, Even though he might have had the thought, it might have crossed his mind. But he endured temptation, and he came through the test with flying colors. Now, as we wrap up Genesis, I I want to do what we did at the very beginning. You remember we made a connection between Genesis and Revelation, and we compared and contrasted those books. We need to do the same here, and I want you to notice a few things as this book ends. Uh, Abraham built altars, right? Uh, Isaac built altars. Jacob built altars to the Lord. Okay, we see that in the four, but in this fourth generation, notice we didn't see any altars built. Uh, What is this? The picture is very clear, right? They're in a place where, again, and we saw what the, what the judgment is over, right? It was over their faithlessness. Uh, that, that's what the issue was. And, and, and it's really a judgment that was pronounced against Abraham. Remember, Abraham is told to dwell in the land. There's a famine in the land. What does he do? He goes to Egypt. And so when God, you know, God in lining him out, straightening him out, as the story unfolds, he just tells him, your children are gonna be strangers. They're gonna be evilly entreated of another nation, but I'll make a great nation of your children and, and I'll, I'll bring them back to this land. Uh, so this is kind of the picture that we're seeing. There's a distance, there's not the same relationship with this fourth generation. Uh, this is why I'll mention from time to time, you know, we're the generation that planted and established uh, the Midtown Baptist Temple and so help us God by his grace. What we trust the Lord for is a soul winning, disciple making, leadership equipping, and sending church, right? A church that reproduces itself all over the world. That's what we're trusting the Lord for. And, uh, and praise the Lord. You know, we're taking our, our first baby steps in that. You want to be here next week for our business update. We do two vision updates a year, and, and the spring one is the business update. Uh, it's, the, it, it's the report that comes at the end of our fiscal year. Our fiscal year runs from April to March every year. And so typically, uh, the first part of May, we, once the numbers are crunched, we give you a report. Uh, here's how much money came in. Here's where it was spent. Here's what we're trusting the Lord for uh, as we move forward in ministry. And so you'll want to be here for that because this will be a meeting for us, right? It's not a meeting for the world. And so you're gonna wanna go back and get the notes later and and you won't actually have access to those. So make sure you're here this next Sunday. Um, 
But God's doing a work. It's exciting. And, and one of the things that I've mentioned to our leaders several times, you know, I'm not worried about the, the next pastor. I'm not worried about the next pastor in Midtown Baptist Temple. And I'm not super worried about the one that follows him. But that fourth guy, he'll probably lead this church into apostasy. Because that's the trend. That's, that's, that's the typical trend. This is why, Mom, Dad, it's so critical that we train up our children in the way that they should go. What you saw today with these parents dedicating their children to the Lord, making this commitment that they're going to train them up to know God, to fear God, to know His Word, to walk in it. We're making that same commitment to, to help them, to pray for them, to be a resource and an aid to them. It's so critical that our children have their own relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so critical that our children make the right decisions about the Bible, the God of the Bible, their life, their relationship to it. They have to decide for themselves. Nobody ever successfully lived the life of Christ because their mama or their daddy was a Christian. There are no spiritual grandchildren, right? I mean, you, we're all first generation. We all, have to, we all have to be born of God, right? That's not, that's not I, can't, I can't give my eternal life to my children, but I can train them up in the way that they go, right? I can train them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I can do that. And so I worked very hard with my children to make sure that they saw the truth of God's word for themselves. I wanted them to decide that they wanted to live a life that glorifies the Lord. Uh, they had to see that. They had to decide that. Over and over, raising my children, I'd tell them, what I want for you with all my heart is that you grow up to be a mighty man or woman of God, a mighty man or, or woman of faith. Not that I was saying that gender is a construct and they can pick what they want to be. To my boys, I said, I'm, I'm trusting that you'll be a mighty man of faith to my daughter. I said, okay, so just, it's sad we live in a day and age where those kind of things have to be clarified. But anyway, I, with all my heart, I want you to want a right relationship with God. But you have to see that. You have to, you have to discover that. And so I'm here to help you. I'm here to coach you. I'm here to train you. But at the end of the day, this is between you and the Lord. Because what was true for me has to be true for them. It has to be true for our grandchildren. I mean, the faith of the generation that took the promised land. Oh my goodness. But once they all passed away, the offsprings worshiping other gods. <laughs> uh, that's just the degeneration spiritually that mankind trends toward. Notice Genesis ends on a negative note. So as we compare and contrast the book of Genesis with Revelation, notice Genesis ends, Pharaoh's on the throne. Well, Revelation ends with God on the throne. The last thing you see in the book of Genesis is death. Well, in Revelation, there's no more death. Revelation 21. Genesis does end with this fourth generation continuing in faith. But don't miss that it ends. The whole thing ends with a coffin, right? The last phrase of Genesis was he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This book ends with a coffin, but, but the book of Revelation ends with a new creation. This fourth generation dies in faith, not having yet 
receive the promises, but here it is. One day, soon and very soon, Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Revelation 21.3, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, here comes the city. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Genesis ends the way every life on this earth ends with a coffin. That's how it ends. That can't be the end of our life. A coffin can't be the summary of our life. But your life will either end at a coffin or begin at a cross, right? Your life will end at a coffin unless you meet Christ at the cross of Calvary. You know, everything ties back to the book of Genesis. This is why we had to, this is why we had to study this book. This is why we had to look at it. God only, I mean, the lessons that we learn. God only forgives sin on the basis of a bloody sacrifice. A lamb, some animal had to die to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. Abraham, he did escape having to sacrifice his only begotten son, but, it, but God didn't escape it. The Father didn't escape it. Christ had to be sacrificed so that we could have eternal life. In the book of Genesis, we've seen, remember that first prophecy in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman? We see Jesus as the seed of the woman. We saw Jesus pictured in the ark that saves Noah and his family because Noah and his family find grace in the eyes of the Lord. We saw Jesus in the sacrifice of Isaac and providing himself a sacrifice. We saw Jesus wrestling with Jacob and we saw Jesus perfectly pictured in the life of, of Joseph. We see him as the way, the truth, and the life. Just like Jesus, Joseph's brothers despise and reject him, but he ends up saving them, and he wants to do the same for you. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I just tell you today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can move forward in the rest of your life, not being separate from God, but being one with him through the finished work, through the sacrifice of Christ at Calvary. Jesus wants you. And you, you, know, you, you might be tempted to look at God as someone who's just waiting to drop the hammer, just waiting to squash you like a bug. No, 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 he fell all over himself to keep that from happening to you. He loves you, Jesus is calling for you. And if you don't know Christ, will you come and be saved today for those that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you not recognize, will you not see the incredible majesty and honor and glory that is ascribed to the person of Jesus Christ? That he's worthy that we lay our lives down in his service. Will you not, like Joseph, enter into the fellowship of his suffering, recognizing it will be worth it all when we see Jesus? Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ, and Lord, I'm praying for everyone in this room. Lord just in terms of two general categories. There are people here that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. God, would you break their heart over the sin that separates them from you? They've done wrong, they've offended you. But you love them, you're not willing that they would perish in their sin, you're willing that they be saved. And so I'm praying for them like you told us to. 
Lord, break their heart over their sin. Convict them over their need of Christ. So many people don't want to surrender their life to Christ. They recognize implicitly he's Lord. God, help them to see they'll be so much happier under the lordship of Christ than they ever were under the, under the lordship of their own, their own heart, their own will, their own mind and emotions. But Lord, help them to see it's not that they're trading up. It's that they're being reconciled to God. They're being reconciled to you as their father through the, through the finished work of Christ at Calvary. Lord, for my brothers and sisters, help us to look at Genesis and recognize the call that you have over our life. All the types, all the pictures, all the illustrations that we've seen. Lord, help us to see you're worthy. You're worthy of glory and honor. You're worthy of praise. And that must be manifest in our life. God, help us to see the principles. Help us to see the pictures. And then to trust you for the reality of them over our life. Lord, we want Christ to be manifest in and through us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.